Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, the culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 230 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, it doesn't get more festive for the season of Samhain and Halloween than with this creature from Irish folklore. This is a tale of the Banshee on the bridge. But before we get down to that, if this is your very first listen, you're very welcome along to Fireside. This is a great introductory episode, as a lot of these of the last few episodes have been. It's very typical of what we do here on Fireside. And if you enjoy this, um, why don't you head right back through the ranks, um, all the way perhaps back as far as episode one. See what we've been building up to over the last nearly five years of this podcast. And if you are a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. All of the usual ways you can support the podcast, most immediate and simplest way is to follow me over on Instagram, at Fireside Bard, um, and message me there, or share this on your stories, or just tell someone else about it is the best way to grow the podcast. Um, if you're not on social media and want to get in touch, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. I love hearing from each and every one of you. And if you are, uh, if you want to support in a more uh, in a more direct way, you can buy my book Garden Sea, a neo myth of home, my poetry collection, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website, which can be shipped all around the world, uh, or instantly on Amazon at Kindle. And if you, the final way is you can join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com wherever as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. All of the links are in the description below. 
it's lovely to be recording with you all again today um as i am in a serious burst of um of recording episodes making up for lost time earlier in the year um, this is the seventh episode I've recorded in the last two weeks, um, which is great, and there's it feels like a great flow back to it, and I hope those that have been missing Fireside for those missing weeks, um, this is mainly for you, you know, to catch up, and I hope you're all enjoying the recent flux at this perfect time of year, as of recording anyway, as we lead up to Halloween. Um this, of course, won't mean anything to you if you're listening to this in a year or six months' time. But at the time of recording, these are coming out in a big burst. Um, and what better what better figure? We've had a couple of tales on the puka, and we've had a few ghost stories. But when people think of Irish folklore, and when people in Ireland think of what it means to be Irish at Halloween there is one creature, one figure that always rises to the top, and that is the Banshee, which literally just does mean a female fairy, but the Banshee is the herald of death. They they are the foot soldiers of the Morrigan, and we I found some two great two great stories and one great poem in um the uh, WB Yeats collection, Fairy and Folktales, the gospel of this podcast, um, to adapt. And it, like with the Puka, um, it had been some time, it had been a couple of years, I think the last uh, Halloween story, or Banshee story I did was a couple of years ago. So it's lovely to be retur- returning to her now. And this was a great story, um, as I hope you will agree, uh, because it takes a different kind of structure and gets more into a description of the figure of the Banshee that we haven't quite had before. Um, And so, of course, we will chat more afterwards. But here we have the tale of the Banshee on the bridge on Fireside. The Banshee on the Bridge Thomas Connolly entered his local pub. This was by no means an unusual occurrence. It would have been considered stranger had he not entered his local pub. Hardly a day went by that he didn't drop in for a drop. And like any pub regular, Thomas Connolly enjoyed nothing more than sitting shoulder to shoulder with his fellow barflies getting quietly inebriated. Eventually a conversation would be struck up and stories would fly like smooth Irish whiskey. But on this night, Thomas Connolly seemed different. He was not his usual self. He took his usual seat, but barely raised his head to any of the bar staff or even his friends. His best pub friend was Harry Power, who only knew Thomas through their joint vocation of drink, but still noticed his friend was out of sorts. "'What ails you, Thomas?' Harry asked. "'It's not like you to be quiet. You're usually the first to regale us with the scale. You look like you've seen a ghost.' Thomas remained silent for a moment before admitting, "'I think I might have.' "'What?' said Harry, not sure what to make of this statement.' 
So you do have a story for us? I suppose I do, said Thomas. But it's not a pleasant tale. Well, it's been a slow night, said Harry. Should go on and get it out of your system. The rest of the regulars had all taken notice and listened to Thomas Connolly as he began to speak. Well, after I left ye last night, I decided I would go and visit old Biddy Maguire. She lives on her own, and so I like to keep her a bit of company, when I can, and sneak her a snifter of brandy. She was a great drinker in her day, but can't really make the journey into town any more. So last night, in full health and full of drink, I thought I'd pop in on my way home. The night was fine. No rain, no wind, so I enjoyed the walk. But as I was approaching the old stone bridge, I felt a chill. It wasn't the chill of the wind, or of the frost. It felt deeper than that. I felt it in me head and me soul, as if I'd never be happy again. I usually don't feel that until the next morning. <laughs> Thomas Connolly chuckled briefly before the sombre expression returned to his face. So I felt strange, but tried to think nothing of it. But then, once I got to the bridge itself, I saw the shape of something, or someone. The closer I got, the clearer the image became. It was a woman crouching down on the ground with her head in her hands. I thought perhaps it was old Biddy herself. Biddy? I called, but no reply came. In fact, the woman didn't even raise her head. I slowly walked closer. Sure enough, it wasn't Biddy McGuire. I couldn't see her face, but I could see her hair. Longer than any I'd ever seen. Like a wild horse. It looked silver in the moonlight. And she was wearing a beautiful silk cloak. At least I think it was silk. I wouldn't exactly be one for the fashion, obviously. But it was shiny and a lovely garment by all accounts. It certainly wasn't bought around here. Are you all right, my love? I said to her. It's getting fierce cold all of a sudden, isn't it? Still, she said nothing. I was now standing right beside her. I was towering over her. She was crouched so low to the ground. She perched like some sort of rodent. Her hair looked different now. It was like an Iscariot yellow, mixed in with the silvery grey. And she ran long, nailed fingers through it. Vigorously. It was as if the woman was going to pull her own hair out. She needed a haircut, but not that much. But then she started to rock back and forth. And I could hear her muffled cries. She was shaken. Not from the cold. I thought something terrible must have happened to her and felt bad for the poor thing. So I said, Is there something the matter, love? 
Can I help in any way? But still, she said nothing. There was no way she couldn't hear me. And I decided she wasn't just being rude. So I thought something really tragic must have occurred. The only thing I could think of doing was to take a step back and bless myself. I said, may the Lord come between us and any harm. This she heard. And I wish I'd never said a word to her. She... She turned her head and looked at me. Quick as a crow. And she stared into me. Not at me. Into me. Boys, I've never seen a face like it. Wrinkled beyond age. Paler than death. Freckles like winter mould. But it was her eyes. Her eyes looked like they were stitched into her sockets with red thread. It looked like she had been crying for years. The bloodshot veins were the only source of terrible colour in her anguished face. The eyes themselves were blue. They should have been gorgeous. But they were cold and dead, like following a drowning corpse into the sea. I couldn't look away. I wanted to run, but I couldn't breathe to put the wind into me legs. I'd been tall when she was on her hunkers, but then the woman rose and she became as tall as Nelson's peller. Her dress and cloak were so long that I couldn't tell if her feet were on the ground or if she was flying over me. But now it was me who was on my knees. There we were, staring at each other, until she reaches her arms out towards me with those long, bony, awful claws, and she wailed into my face until I thought I would go deaf. I felt it. Don't think I'll ever not feel it. The creature flew towards me, and I couldn't even move to escape my fate. But she flew straight through me, over the bridge and down into the stream. I didn't even look after her to see where she went. I was still on my knees. I heard no splash. I only heard that awful cry still ringing in my ears. I don't know how I got back on my feet and I don't remember walking home I thought I would go home but instead I woke up an hour later face down in a doorway a bucket of cold water in my face woke me up and there was old Biddy Maguire standing over me I thought she was the terrible creature and nearly jumped out of the damp on me what's the matter with you Thomas Biddy asked Drink, drink is as drunk again, are you? She handed me a jug of punch. Where am I, I asked. Is this purgatory or worse? It's not the other place, is it? Why are you talking about, you big fool, she says to me. It's not purgatory you're in. You're in my kitchen. You're on my kitchen floor where you've spent many a night. She asked me what had happened, and I I couldn't find the words. I've only just been able to find the words tonight. 
But I've been no doubt, boys, that last night I met the Banshee. The entire pub had been silent for most of Thomas's tale. Many were sceptical, but all listened, and no one spoke for what felt like an eternity once he had finished. Finally, Harry Power said, But how do you know it was the Banshee? I was with you last night, and we had more than our fill. Could have been some mad woman playing tricks. There's a lot of that this time of year. I know, I know, said Thomas. But if you saw what I saw, you'd be in no doubt yourself. And there's more. I stayed on Biddy's kitchen floor last night. I was too shook to head back out into the wild and risk running into more spectres. But this morning, I woke up and there was no sign of Biddy. So I knocked on her bedroom door. No answer. Eventually I walked in. And there Biddy Maguire was. Dead in the bed. It wasn't for me that the banshee was coming. It was for Biddy. So while I haven't met me own Conley banshee. I've certainly met the banshee of the Maguires. And I may have been unconscious on the floor. But I'm thankful to that fairy woman for bringing me there and making sure Biddy Maguire didn't die alone. The End A Lamentation for the Death of Sir Morris Fitzgerald Here was lifted up one voice of woe, one lament of more than mortal grief, through the wide south to and fro for a fallen chief. In the dead of night that cry thrilled through me. I looked out upon the midnight air. My own soul was all as gloomy as I knelt in prayer. O'erlocker that night once, twice, yea, thrice, passed a wail of anguish for the brave that half curled into ice its moon-mirroring wave. Then uprose a many-toned wild hymn in choral swell from Ogre's dark ravine and Mogili's phantom women mourned the Geraldine. Far on Carabmona's emerald plains shrieks and sighs were blended many hours and Fermoy in fitful strains answered from her towers. Yall, Kinalmiki, Femakili mourned in concert, and their piercing keen woke to wondering life the stilly glens of Inish Queen. From Lochmo to yellow Dunanore there was fear. The traders of Tralee gathered up their golden store and prepared to flee. For... In ship and hall from night till morning showed the first faint beamings of the sun. All the foreigners heard the warning of the dreaded one. This, they spake, portendeth death to us if we fly not swiftly from our fate. Self-conceited idiots thus ravingly to prate. 
Not for base-born, higgling Saxon trucksters ring laments like those by shore and sea. Not for churls with souls of hucksters waileth our banshee. For the high Milesian race alone ever flows the music of her woe. For slain heir to bygone throne and for chief laid low. Hark! Again methinks I hear her weeping yonder. Is she near me now as then? Or wast but the night wind sweeping down the hollow glen? So if the security guard never saw Aoife leave the building, how could Mark have committed the crime? And then there's a letter from the confession box. Anyway, sorry for the rambling voice note. But to answer your question, no. If this sounds like you, then Headstuff Podcasts competition Join the Cast is offering you the chance to record your own podcast series worth €50,000. Simply pitch your idea at jointhecast.ie. T's and C's apply. And there we have the tale of, well, both the tale and the poem, we have the tale of the Banshee on the bridge, and then the poem, A Lament for the Death of Sir Morris Fitzgerald, by James Clarence Mangan, and I hope you enjoyed them both. Two very different pieces, and I'll discuss them in different different ways, um, but naturally they both concern the same figure. So what I, what I liked about this story initially, I almost thought it wasn't going to work, um, because there isn't a huge amount of plot necessarily. It is mostly description. And that's why I made the decision to um, adapt this in the first person, um, which I don't do too often. Uh, I don't like to overdo it. So it's, like most most of these folks, folk tales do are in third person narrative in the versions I adapt them from. Um, Tale of Connell, Yellowclaw, which I did in three parts, that was an example of a story that was told largely in the first person. Um, and it's always a lovely a lovely break. You can do quite different things speaking in the first person. Um, you can talk in a more conversational manner and you can kind of fluff and make mistakes as people do and put in ums and ems and all the things that we do when we are speaking to each other that we don't speak in the way that omnipotent narrators do um, and that felt important for this story because it is just entirely about uh, a person's this person Thomas Connolly about his view and his experience with the Banshee because in a lot of Banshee stories and the next story we're going to do the McCarthy Banshee will be more of the kind I'm talking about now um, the Banshee herself is usually only a small part or she will be in the distance or seen very, very briefly. But what I liked about this story was this is just a guy who meets a banshee on the bridge and just looks at her and every part of her. And so it was fun to explore just a detailed description of what a banshee would look like from the perspective of this man. A few, Most of them I just use my own imagination for. There are a few bits 
that I lifted directly because I love them so much. I loved this term. I've come across it a couple of times recently, actually. Iscariot yellow. Well, it just said Iscariot. She looked, her hair looked Iscariot, which I had to look up is, is, is actually a shade of yellow now, but became quite common. It uh, used to be a quite top common term for the color yellow uh, because <laughs> Judas Iscariot was considered yellow-bellied for betraying JC. So... I love that the color yellow became associated with Judas, which, you know, is is dark and wonderful. Um, and then as tall as Nelson's Pillar, which for listeners outside of Ireland, used to be a huge structure on um, O'Connell Street, Sackville Street, as probably would have been when the pillar was built, um, depicting Lord Nelson um, that was blown up by the IRA. And is currently where the spire is now, if you've visited Dublin yourself. Um, that big needle in the centre of Dublin. Uh, yes, that used to be a pillar to Lord Nelson. Um, but it was blown up. And so in I loved that as tall as Nelson's pillar because it was a huge, huge imposing structure. I was not alive when it was uh, um, there, but I have seen many pictures of it. Um and there are so many similar kind of structures, like very like uh, if you know Trafalgar Square in London about the this the pillar there, and uh, with the lions all around, it's very that kind of style, that kind of like Corinthian Greek pillar with just a big dude on top pointed up. Um, but I loved that as a description because it felt very specific to this time and to this character, and that. That was fun to kind of lean into, not how I would describe this banshee, but how this person would describe. And so it was nice to get to go into just a bit of detail with the physical description and to try and find the the, the tension and the drama and the the horror in what it would be like to meet this creature. Uh, one thing I changed is, so in the story he is going to meet this Biddy Maguire figure, um, and then at the end... It is Biddy who, you know, wakes him up. He go. He still goes to Biddy's house and wakes up there. But it ends up being a completely different person who dies, uh, who we haven't met before in the story. So to kind of connect it and give it a little bit more weight and poignancy, I had it be that, that poor old Biddy Maguire was the one who died. And I'm very interested in this idea of the family banshee which was the thing in our, our story about Holland we did a few years ago um, that I recorded a, a video of um, that each Irish family has their own banshee. It's the idea of meeting another family's banshee is very interesting as well, which leads us on nicely to this poem, um, A Lamentation for the Death of Sir Morris Fitzgerald. Sir Morris Fitzgerald was not a figure I was familiar with. He was... Um, he was a knight of Kerry. He was the 18th knight of Kerry. He was a Whig politician. He served as a member of parliament. Uh, curiously enough, he was the MP for County Kerry um, just before Daniel O'Connell. Um, Irish listeners will be familiar with the name Daniel O'Connell. He was known as the great Catholic emancipator in the struggle for Irish freedom. Daniel O'Connell was the most successful one to try talking uh, to try and use his words and not battle to achieve independence and fought for the rights of Catholics at a time when Catholics had very, very few rights under the penal system, um, which Ireland was under at that time. Um, and so, but 
who Sir Morris Fitzgerald is is actually a, a little bit unrelevant to this poem because it's not really it's about something bigger than that um, and it, it it develops into quite a potency I think it's beautifully gothic at the beginning and setting the scene it's you know in a very similar very simple um, ballad structure um, but setting up this scene with the description of the night and then it has all of these very, very specific places mentioned, um, a lot of them around Cork, and, um, but where it gets very potent and strong at the end is when it talks about, well, as it describes them foreigners, with the implication being that these would be English settlers at this time, them fearing the Banshee, and this description, uh, um, self-conceited idiots, thus ravingly to prate, and yet not for base-born, higgling Saxon trucksters. So the Saxons would have been a description for um, people with British ancestry living in Ireland at the time. And so it's curious that not just, it isn't just that like each family has a, has a banshee, but it is only the descendants of the Milesians who were the first mortal people in Ireland after the Tuatha Dé Danann, the ones who forced the Tuatha Dé Danann underground to become the fairies, which would lead to the Banshee. Um, the sons, like the first Gaels, like where we get the term Gaelic, um, this, it's only for those descendants, so it's only the Irish um, and the Irish families who would have a Banshee. Um, which is very, very curious as well. It's like, what happens when anyone else else dies? Do they not get a, a spectre to herald their death? Or do their own cultures have their own respective fairies? Um, but it's interesting that this, this poem like takes this like quite sardonic, critical view then uh, to take a dig at the Saxon hucksters, which is just a wonderful uh, term. Uh, not for churls with souls of hucksters waileth our banshee is just a spectacular line. And then to finish back around, yes, the for high Milesian alone ever flows the music of her woe for slain heir by bygone throne and for the chief laid low. So from the highest, it's the highest lords to the lowliest uh, peasant or farmer or whoever, you know, um, that the banshee wails. It isn't just... It's for the highborn and lowborn uh, alike. And then to final note, it's like, again, methinks I hear her weeping yonder. Is she near me now as then? Or was but the night wind sweeping down the hollow glen? It ends in the very gothic spooky way it end as well. Um, so yes, let me know what you thought of either of these. Uh, disconnected, two separate pieces, uh, but connected through this wonderful creature of the Banshee and got to explore in different ways. Um, Next week, we will have another tale of the Banshee, uh, a story that is kind of, that I'm kind of calling the <laughs> the Jane Eyre of uh, Irish Banshee stories. It's really, 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 it's like a work of gothic fiction. Um, the story I adapted from, we'll see how my version of it is anyway. Um, but yes, please do let me know your thoughts. Follow me on our Instagram, message me there at Fireside Bard, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please do buy my book if you're interested in paperback from Headstuff or instantly via Kindle. And we can ship them all around the world. Uh, support me on Headstuff Plus for a five euro a month, or you can pay more if you want. All the links in the description below. 
I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.